dude, Jacob, this this is a weird slate that we're about to dive into. <laughs> this is a weird slate. Like I, I cannot like even begin to discuss just some of the awkwardness that you're going to have to dive into. I mean, it's going to be almost as awkward as as your mustache that you're trying to grow right now. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's 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 uh, there's a lot of things where you think it's a good idea. And then you start trying it out and you start questioning whether it's a good idea. That certainly relates to this, this attempt in Movember. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I like to think that men's health is a priority, but uh, it, we're, 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 we're working through it right now. It's right, not let's, good. Let's, let's, let's go ahead and put this intro on. You ready? Let's put it on. What is up, everybody? Welcome on into the Big Tilts. That's right. That's right. We got another episode of DFS coming at you fast, hard, and heavy. My name is Chase Vernon. You guys can find me over there on Twitter at FF underscore intervention. I am joined by my boy, Jacob Sanderson. You guys can find him on Twitter at FF underscore RTDB. Jacob, are you ready to kick this episode off, man? Absolutely, absolutely. We this is officially week nine, officially the halfway slate of the DFS season. Fun times. Let's do it. Off of probably what was one of the most crazy DFS weeks, not one of, by far the most crazy DFS week of the year. Like, I mean, we had like multiple forty point games in our lineup. We didn't hit the min cash line. Like, it's just it was an absolutely <laughs> ridiculous week where almost impossible for anybody to be like to find nothing that they got right. And you need to get all of it right in order to, to win last week. T- truly a fun one. Yeah, I can't even imagine what the actually Millie Maker was because I didn't look into it. I probably should have. I mean, they had to hit, what, 270 maybe? Yeah, on absolutely ridiculous. Maybe absolutely 300. Ridiculous. I mean, what, three running backs had three touchdowns, I believe. We had Derrick Henry, who we had in our lineup, I believe. Yeah, yeah we had Henry. Yeah, unfortunately missed on Dorsett. We had AJ yeah, I mean, Brown. We had, we had five 30-point <laughs> running backs. We had AJ Brown dropped a 40 bomb. Um, I can't recall if any other wide receivers were up were up that high just off hand, but I, I'm probably missing somebody obvious. Oh, Tyree Kill and Jalen Wall went completely ridiculous. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, you would have had to get you would have needed like you would have needed all, all the Dolphins, but none of the Lions. Um, and then because even the Lions scored, like nobody really got there because Jamal Williams kept vulturing shit. So you would have needed like all the Dolphins, none of the Lions. You would have needed Henry, Camara, some mixed obviously wild week foreman would have to be in there with the cost savings yeah really really fun crazy week well speaking of vulturing ship you know i was going through the lineups with you talking about which games we wanted to discuss today and you know a couple of them just felt a little bit strange in terms of like what everybody's going to be calling chalk and whatever he's playing so for me i took a, a game that i don't think anybody's going to be playing or at least it's going to have very minimal ownership uh and yeah, i'm going to sure be playing yeah, yeah, I went with a gross one for one of my games. The other one, I actually took a, a very chalky matchup that I'm most likely going to to fade. I actually picked that game because I wanted to talk about why you shouldn't be playing that game. And if you do play that game, you most likely don't want to be playing the chalk. As for you, wh- which games were you diving into? Or can you give us a little a little uh, teaser as to what we're going to be talking about today? Teaser. On your a little teaser. Yeah, well, give us a little strip a little tease, teaser. Jacob. Just a little, a little strip tease. Yeah. Oh, I think oh no, I mean, clothes on. No, no. I just meant like, can you can you strip off some of the uh, the? All right, I'm done. Oh, can I strip <laughs> off? So I, yeah, I'm not really sure why you're talking about you perv, but <laughs> not. I'm going to talk about two of the teams. I mean, we we basically one game that we talked about. I think three weeks ago on the show, 
we get to do it all over again, but this time we get to do it indoors. So I'm excited to talk about that one. And the other one is one team that we have talked about plenty this year and almost every week. And another team that I don't think we've discussed the entire year. Uh, and they are playing each other this week uh, indoors as well. So that those are my other teasers, but I'm, I'm pumped up for this week. I mean, there's no, doesn't feel like there's an obvious, obvious, you have to play this game type of game this week, in part because of Biomageddon, in part because, again, these NFL schedule makers continue to put all of the fun, best offenses in primetime games. It's very aggravating. Why would they do that? Why would they do that? And so, I know it's like every week, don't you feel like every week I'm going to tease by one of them? But every week, all we talk about is the Lions because they're like the only fun offense. It's never in prime time, so we just we just only play Lions games every week. It's so bizarre that it's like the actual fun offense, and yet they only have one win on the season. All I right, know. let's yeah, go well, ahead. What they really are is the fun defense. <laughs> yeah, the fun yeah. defense you want to target. <laughs> yeah, exactly. All right, let's go ahead and, and kick off some of this information real quick. All right, everybody, we are here to talk DFS, of course, and we have a couple different lineups as we discussed, and I feel like there's one that everybody's talking about that's a new hot thing. I'm looking at all these you know, sites that are given the ownership projections, and I just keep on seeing these players at the top. And for me, I don't know if I actually want to dive into that, and that's, that's the Raiders and the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, before I get started on, on why I don't like this, are you playing in a significant amount of – are you going to have a significant amount of ownership on any one of the players in either one of these games. Oh, Jacob, you're on mute, bud. Oh man, I apologize. I don't even know when I hit mute, but that's all right. <laughs> my, my, my bad. I will also be muting most of the Jaguar side in this game. How's <laughs> that for a segue? Um, yeah, I think that, you know, Travis Etienne, let's start there. He is, I think, probably the betting favorite for being the highest ownership percentage of any player on the slate. Uh, I think reasonably so. I mean, we saw last week, his first week without James Robinson, really his second week. They essentially excommunicated James Robinson uh, without our prior knowledge against the Giants. So he's had this workhorse role for two weeks. Last week was his first game, well up over 20 carries. He ended up with only two receptions. He also had two receptions that were called back by penalty, one against the defense, one against the offense. So he could have easily doubled that reception total in that spot. He played basically in every single game situation. He was playing on third downs. He was playing on first downs. He was playing in the goal line. And Jamichael Hasty was the only other back working in, essentially when Travis Etienne needed a breather. So I totally get it with Etienne. I mean, 6,300 is way underpriced. He he's probably should be in that high 7K tier. And we just saw what Alvin Kamara did. He was the RB1 overall in the highest scored running back week all year against this Raiders defense. So, you know, what would keep you off Travis Etienne? Is there anything other than the ownership keeping you off Travis Etienne? Yeah, it's the grossness of what I think this game script is going to is going to look like. Um, you know, I'm actually taking the under on this one. I believe it's sitting at 47, if I remember correctly. And and honestly, like it just feels like it's going to be a gross game. But Etienne is interesting, right? Because the Raiders are allowing 7.4 receptions per game to the running mm-hmm. back. They're allowing 61, yeah, 61 receiving yards in the air to opposing running backs. And Travis Etienne hasn't needed receptions to be valuable the past two weeks. He's actually done the majority of his damage on the ground. Like you brought up, you know, there were a couple different plays that got called back that would have added to his total. But, I mean, 
it's still something as to where like, hey, if he's able to get some work up against the Raiders in the air in this game, I, I really do like him. They've allowed 188 receiving yards on 24 receptions and I believe what two touchdowns in the past two weeks to the running back in the air. I mean, we're talking about like, let's see, carry the one. I think it's what, 27.4, 27.4 fantasy points in the air to the running back in each week. That's absolutely nuts. It's insane. We already know that Travis Etienne, if he doesn't drop the ball, if Trevor Lawrence can actually hit him, you know, I I can't even begin to relive the nightmares that I've had talking about Travis Etienne, right? Yeah. Uh, You know, like it's new again on the show. If it can translate into actual production, we're talking about big-time points. But the thing about the Raiders is they've actually been okay up against the running back on the ground so far this season. And honestly, like, I kind of just want to fade this game, right? Because the Raiders, like, we don't know that Jacksonville is going to be able to necessarily, like, pull ahead by significant points, and the Raiders are going to have to play catch-up. And even if that is the case, even let's just say the game script goes that way or it goes the way of the Raiders pulling ahead – we don't know if that can happen because Derek Carr has struggled up against teams who can provide pressure on the quarterback. We saw it up against the Chiefs. You know, we saw it up against the Titans where they just struggled to have any kind of fantasy output because Derek Carr really doesn't have an offensive mm-hmm. line right now. Uh, Devonta Adams just looks uninterested. This whole offense, which, by the way, I went back, I looked at the numbers. I can't find a single reason as to why Derek Carr is struggling this year in comparison to previous years because he's pretty similar in all these outside of uh, clean pocket completion percentage and the amount of times he's passing and attempts downfield like it's still like not there's something off with this offense and I think it's just how complicated Josh McDaniels always seems to make it for his quarterbacks so for right now like I don't want to buy into this I think that that we see Derek Carr overthinking things I think we see the wide receivers losing interest in running routes you know 100 times and then not getting the ball because Derek Carr only has time to make one read so I don't love, I don't love Devonte Adams sitting over there at eighty one hundred. I mean, we're probably going to see yeah. him be chalky ownership. No, I, he won't be. He'll be like two percent. He'll be the only guy I think that'll be way under uh, across I think, the sites that I've seen. I've seen at least ten percent. And I, think I mean, no, I, I think he'll be more. I think he'll be more under five because Adams is up at eighty one hundred. Is just so it's, it's so expensive, and people are going to have Tyree Kill projected higher. People are going to have DeAndre Hopkins projected higher. People are going to want to play Cooper Cup. We're going to want to play Stefan Diggs with, with Josh Allen. Like, I think people will get to all of Hopkins, Hill, Cup, Diggs, Jefferson before they'll get to Adams. I'm, I'm not sure Adams comes in more than 5%. I was going to even say he might be the guy that I might consider just based on ownership and based on his ceiling. But we haven't really seen, like, it's really only week one this year did we see the full volume, efficiency, touchdowns, everything ceiling from Devontae Adams. Uh since then, he had one other massive ceiling game against the Chiefs, but that was like an outlier game. He had three catches in that game. Two of them were, were very long touchdown receptions. So that's awesome. And, and he has that kind of upside. But otherwise, this year, you know, he had a couple of really frustrating games, one being this past week, uh, another one where he was held, you know, almost entirely out of commission against the Cardinals in week two. And then he's had a few of these games where it's like he's like eight for 85 type games, right? Seven yep. for seven. And maybe you get a touchdown in that. But either way, that's not necessarily breaking the slate. I mean, it's hard to click on Adams when you just look at the offensive environment that Diggs is in. When you look at Justin Jefferson, who frankly has just commanded targets at a much higher clip than Devontae Adams and, and been more a lot more efficient on his targets this year than Devontae Adams. Again, Tyreek Hill, right? These guys have just been peppered more consistently with targets. They've been more efficient on their targets. 
I think you can do it from an ownership perspective. I guess the issue is usually if I'm going to try and take a stand on a guy that I don't think projects particularly well, just because I think that they have a ceiling in ownership, I, I kind of want to maximize that bet. And I don't know who I'd run it back with here. Like, I think you can do it with ETN. It's, it's uh, like, that would be a way, I think, to correlate ETN in a way that mitigates some of the ownership. Uh, my, my concern is everything on the Jag side is going to be so owned. Like, I think Kirk will come in between 10 to 15%. Uh, Engram might be the highest rostered tight end on the slate. Yes. ETN definitely the highest running back on the slate. You know, do you want to keep up with the Joneses? Do you want to do you want to be playing the Joneses? I'm not sure. So I don't think Derek Carr or Trevor Lawrence would be particularly owned, but I don't even want to play them because like, do I want to stack them with a bunch of other highly owned pieces in a game that has a lot of fragility to it? So yeah, I'll probably be underweight this game. I will play ETN. I, I think he does project as the best point per dollar running back on the slate. I'll play him. I'm not sure I'll play him much more than he's owned but I'll work him into lineups where I'm getting contrarian elsewhere. The Adams one is interesting. I'm going back and forth on if I'll have any of him. So the thing with Adams is like, there are not very, very many high priced running backs that people are going to want to play on the slate this week. I don't think, I think people are going to pivot down off of the running back position and play right around the, the mid to mid five K or so range up to like early sixes. I think it's going to offer opportunity. And by the way, you're going to end up pivoting down to, to Evan Ingram along with these other cheaper tight ends. Mm. I think it's going to offer you opportunity to play a, uh, you know, Justin Jefferson along with Devonta Adams. And I think if you end up going with a stack where you're, you're playing those guys, I think instead of going, with a more expensive running back in Josh Jacobs, who's higher priced, if you end up pivoting down at the running back position, it allows you to still get action in this game on the Raiders mm-hmm. side without making a complete chalk, which is why I think the Devonta Adams is still going to see right around the eight to ten percent ownership range. Yeah, I think I think Jacobs will be like ten times more owned than Adams. I think I yeah. think we'll see Jacobs around twenty. I think we'll well, I think I mean I'm seeing Adams projected at like two, maybe it's higher than that. Maybe it gets up to like five or so. I don't know. It would surprise me if he's at ten. If he's at ten, I would have no interest in playing him. I, I would only want to play him at all if it's sub five. Well, let me go ahead and pitch out a different idea to you because you said yeah. you didn't want to play Derek Carr, which I really don't want any part in Derek Carr this week up until we see something else. I, I don't even like playing like the Derek Carr with Devontae Adams stack and then right. and you know, Tyson Campbell was shadowing last week against Sutton. I assume yeah. he's going to be shadowing Adams this week. And McDaniels hasn't been very creative about getting Adams off of shadow coverage. We saw it's that. Bizarre. He's like, Oh, go Murphy's. out there and beat him. You know, just go out there and beat him. Like, you know, do a 10 yard curl and hopefully your, your skills can beat this corner. Who knows exactly what you're going to be doing. Right. Like it seems like McDaniels approach is like, we have Devonte Adams. And if a team is going to not treat him as an elite weapon, then we'll target him relentlessly. But if a team is going to shadow him, we're content with that. And then we're just going to feed our other options. Like that seems to be their approach with it, which, which makes Adams more matchup dependent versus when he was in green Bay, you know, the whole goal was let's get him the ball and they would move him in the slot. They'd move him outside. They'd do whatever. I mean, it's unfortunately just a lot worse where you look at like how the Rams treat Cooper cup or how the bills treat Stefan Diggs, or how, uh, you know, the Dolphins street Tyree kill, like those guys go all over the formation. They're put in favorable positions. McDonald's doesn't seem to care. So, my idea for this matchup, right? It's not great. It's kind of gross. But Marvin Jones Jr. with Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> now, now, hear me out. Hear me out, right? Because, you know, I have these weird ideas sometimes, and sometimes they work out, sometimes they don't. But Marvin Jones Jr. will have zero ownership, right? But he's yeah, seen correct. He's seen the most deep balls downfield uh, more than any other receiver on the Jaguars. He's seen, seen 10 deep targets. Now, they haven't connected because Trevor Lawrence has been terrible. Trevor Lawrence has attempted, I believe, what, the 10th most – yeah, 29 deep ball attempts so far in the year by Trevor Lawrence. 10th most in the league over there on playerprofiler.com. 
You can go check that out. He is he is 31st in the league in deep ball completion percentage with 27.6%. I mean, he's not connecting with his receivers downfield. But when it comes to the Raiders, right, the Raiders are actually very good at stopping the alpha guys, right? They're, they're good at stopping the slot guys to an extent. They actually have only allowed two receivers to give you like these, these fantasy lineup of these these slate breaking performances right we had Jahan Dotson in week one where nobody knew that was like nobody even relatively thought that that could ever happen right Jahan Dotson goes out there and has a massive performance but he doesn't even put up 20 fantasy points he just paid off his salary and then Michael Pittman Michael Pittman had a big week where he had like the 13 receptions for like 136 yards he didn't have a touchdown so he still he ended up getting over the that point what was it like I think uh 29.6 points that week but outside of that, they've played some decent wide receivers, and none of them have paid off. None of them have gotten over 20 points outside of Michael Pittman. So maybe this is a chance where you can play a guy who can get behind this Raiders defense and give you the big play, and then you can see some sort of return with that. Now, I, I don't love Marvin Jones, but if you're getting there, as we tend to do at the end of our lineups that we end up making at the end of the show, right? And we, we're sitting there looking for a Hail Mary. I just want to throw it out there that Marvin Jones Jr. has seen three targets of over 20 yards over the past two weeks, and he could be that 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 deep flyer option that offers us a big play in a matchup that might be chalky that we could use to leverage, you know, up against the, the field. No. Oh, come Marvin on. Jones. Boston Rose. I, I don't mind. I don't look if you, if I don't know if you want to, if someone was to say like, I'm playing a car, Adam stack. Um, who do you want to play from the Jacksonville side to get off of the other ownership? And they were to say, I'll play Marvin Jones. I wouldn't send them to federal prison. Um, but as the, as the, the, the big focus of my lineup Marvin Jones at 7,000 years old? I'm not sure. I'm not so, sure I want to do that. Let me throw one more set out to you, okay? Oh, boy. So, like, yeah. Christian Kirk has seen 58 yeah. targets thus far in the year, right? Yeah, that's correct. Marvin Jones Jr. has seen 41 targets thus far in the right. year. So, only yeah. 17 targets less over yeah, eight weeks true. now. Yeah. 24.4% of Marvin Jones' targets have been over 20 yards. Yeah. So we're talking about almost all of his targets being premium targets, and he's still seeing targets. It's not like the Jalen Guyton corollary was just running wait, the did you sprints. Did you say 24% and then you said almost all? Did you just say 24% and then you're like almost all? Is 24% <laughs> almost all now? I mean, it is for, for that sounds Jones. That sounds like 76% less than all. I'm not sure that is percent of the time it works every time. I'm just <laughs> yeah. saying. That's, the, the language is really being stretched here on the big tilt. <laughs> Almost all. <laughs> so he still has seen a quarter of his targets be 20 yards downfield, which is impressive. I don't know if I've ever seen that before from a, from a player that's seen a good portion of his team's targets. Yeah, no. That's Marvin Jones. <laughs> all right. What but do you I appreciate got? trying. Boss Moreau is also, I think, a, a, a tentative play at the tight end position. I don't think he's yeah, going to come is, in as high as Is Waller ever going to play? I'm not sure. He was Because, I mean, I thought he was going to play last week when he was limited from jump, and then he got in all three limited practices. He, he of course, did not play. Then there was this quote uh, from, like, Schefter on the Sunday that it was like, he's really close to returning, but they want to be extra careful, so not this week. So then I was like, oh, he'll, like, for sure be playing this week then. Was still limited in practice. And then today, the quote from McDaniel was like, he's working as hard as he can to get back. Like, that makes me sound like he's not going to play. Like, I don't know. It's just, so, I don't know. He seems very questionable. Like, truly questionable. Um, if he does play, 
like no one will play him. So I guess that's interesting. Um, I don't mind the Island of Moreau. Yeah, sure. Why not? Yeah. I mean, you know, as a, as a play to, to leverage the field off of Evan Ingram, if you're going to try and get into this game, once again, I'm going to fade this game, but you know, I do want to play some ETN. I think that's like the only guy that I'm like, Oh, I want to play him. Even if he is chalk. I remember last year though, like, or last week, not last year, I I thought that I was going to slide in Foster Moreau at like, sub 10% ownership last week when, when Waller was in my opinion, at least I thought he was kind of a surprise inactive after practicing all week. I was like, Oh, people have expected Waller to be in. They're not going to play Moreau. And then uh, immediately the cards went up and like a lot of my contests, now a lot of my stuff was smaller field, but a lot of, but he was like 20%. I was like, Oh, well that was dumb. I didn't think I was playing a 20% Foster Moreau. Um, so I'm a little bit, I'm a little sketched out after that, but I, I do think if you could get him, get him down there, I, I'd be interested. Um, all right. Well, Chase has decided that he is not going all in on the Jacksonville Jaguars this week. But I'm if not. you do want to go all in, don't go all in on the Jacksonville Jaguars. Go all in with the all in package hot deal when the Roto Underworld. It is just $50 for the rest of season package that includes data analysis updated all the way through the first eight weeks of the season. You can download, you can sort advanced metrics by position across all of the player profiler extended universe. You also get Dynasty Deluxe that includes the trade finder that is up to minutes moved, up to minute moves tracked by my fantasy league, a player profiler trade analyzer. So you can make sure that you're doing the best moves for your team, as well as the NFL mock tracks index, the DFS dominator updated for everything that we're going to talk about so that you can go and check you can use the lineup genius. You can use the optimizers. You can check ownership projections, all of that stuff, all in the all in package, just $50 for the rest of the season. Miles, Miles, Miles has got it today. Yeah. Miles actually ordered. He's in the chat over here and he said, Miles got it today. what do you think of it? Miles? Let us know in the chat what you think of it. Of yeah. course. I- I'm curious, man. I-, I need to actually go check that out. Cause that's something I need to utilize. All right, Jacob, who's your team? What's your matchup that you're going to be targeting? Which players are you thinking? Yeah, well, you know, I teased it before. I said we talk about the Lions every week, and we're going to talk about the Lions again. And this is a fascinating one in that the, I mean, how many Green Bay Lions games have been in the previous years where anytime you'd want to talk about a Green Bay and Detroit Lions game, you'd always be like, oh, man, well, I really want to play uh, the Green Bay side of this, but, like, can you really trust the Lions? And here it's, like, almost the opposite it's like everybody's really excited to play the Lions. It's like, oh, are the Packers just going to ruin this thing? Um, but nonetheless, Vegas is believers. This is a 49.5 over-under, which I believe has it tied for the highest over-under on this slate. Uh, and so Green Bay, Detroit. What's fascinating to me is that Aaron Rodgers projects to be one of the higher-owned quarterbacks of the slate. He has shown literally no ceiling the entire year. What, what are your thoughts on this Green Bay side? Because the Lions matchup is obviously incredible. But who do we play, if anyone, from this Green Bay side under the expectation that Rodgers is probably going to come in, probably in the top three in quarterback ownership. Aaron Jones probably comes in in the top three to five in running back ownership. Not particularly sure any of the wide receivers are super, super owned, which makes it even more interesting what people are going to do with Rodgers. But can will this Green Bay offense be able to find its rhythm against a Lions defense that is really bad? Or are they just going to be slow and boring and sad and just suck the life out of this game entirely? So for me, like this is where it gets a little bit sketchy, right? Because like I want to play Aaron Jones in hopes that he's going to run the routes and see the targets, right? You know that I love following the, the dump off containment efficiency score, which I've been trying to dial in for the season. 
uh, and I'm looking at the numbers and I'm like, dude, Aaron Jones hasn't really been efficient as a receiver this year. Meanwhile, it's like, okay, Detroit hasn't been good at stopping the pass kitchen <laughs> running backs necessarily. So like at, at what point do we start to see this offense open up and we start to say like Aaron Rodgers literally say F it. I'm just going to start dumping off the running backs because I don't want to throw it downfield. I can't throw it downfield. I'm, I'm aiming downfield, but I'm getting my ass kicked in the process because my offensive line has been playing great. My wide receivers can't get open. At what point does he just give the middle finger over to the sideline and decide, hey, I'm just going to dump it off up until you guys get me some wide receivers. Like, it, you know that annoying guy that just sends you trade after trade after trade, like, and they're just terrible trades. And then at the end of the day, you know, they're sitting there and they're complaining about not having any wide receivers. And it's like, well, you really didn't genuinely try to acquire one, no. you know, like, like you never tried to acquire a good player and Aaron Rodgers, Like, I, I don't know how he's doing it. I don't know how he's okay. Do it. Like at this point, it just feels like he's doing this as a job and he knows that everything's going to suck for him, yeah, but he's, he's just doing it. Quitting. Yeah. So at, at this point, I feel like they're going to lean heavily on the running back. And this is where it gets curious because obviously the lines are terrible up against running backs. Aaron Jones, I think, is going to be significantly higher owned than A.J. Dillon because A.J. Dillon hasn't been good. Yeah, he's and, just not been a factor this year, and he started to lose more and more of his workload. Like it's, he, yeah, It's been a shame, but he is still running routes. Like He only ran five less routes last week than, than Aaron Jones did. Uh, sure, he's not getting the carries necessarily, but he's still being involved in the offense to an extent. I, I know that it's counterintuitive, and I'm looking at my numbers, and nothing tells me that it's smart to play A.J. Dillon. Nothing, nothing is telling me, but this, this just feels like an AJ Dillon type week where Aaron Jones, I mean, uh, Aaron Rodgers doesn't want to play. Right. And he, he's given up. Aaron Jones ends up having a couple of inefficient receptions. You need, you need to go to like a rehab clinic for AJ Dillon. You do. This is too much. Uh, it's, it's a lot, but I mean, I don't want to play Aaron this Jones. Is price this week. Week. I literally don't even know his price because I, I haven't ever considered playing him. He's, <laughs> he's 5,700. 57. So yeah. that's, that's, that's not not an ideal price to play a backup running back. Um, no, but his ownership's going to be really low. Oh yeah, that, <laughs> you're right about that. Yeah, I imagine you could get him in there at about uh, right about 0.5k, uh, 0.5%. I'm trying to figure out a way to play any one of these guys. The only guy that I can actually like like vouch playing on the Green Bay Packers side, like the only guy that I want to play because AJ Dillon's just fun, right? I'm just uh, guys. By the way, if you're listening, I'm poking fun because I like AJ Dillon. I always have, and I want to see him do well. May I have him in, in one DFS lineup? Yeah, maybe, but I, I'm not going to force him in. The only guy that I can actually vouch trying to squeeze into your lineups over here for any pass catchers on the Green Bay side is going to be Robert Tanyan because he's seen such a heavy mm -hmm. workload over the past few weeks. I mean, it's been interesting. I'm, I'm trying to pull up the numbers real quick, but last week alone, he, he ran 22 routes, saw six targets, five receptions, 35 yards. I mean, that's not great, but you put in a touchdown in there and that's a top three tight end. Yeah. I like the Tunyon. I, I like that Tunyon call actually a good bit. I mean, he'll, he'll definitely have ownership on him, but I, I don't think it'll be like out of this world or whatever. I, I don't mind Tunyon. My issue with the receivers, like, so Lazard is, it sounds like is a true game time decision. Um, I think that he's somewhat interesting. Uh, Dubs is tough. I, I don't think that he's going to be, you know, that highly owned and he has an incredible matchup. It's just none of these wide receivers have really earned enough volume to show like that massive of a ceiling. Now Dubs has gotten some downfield targets. He hasn't really been very good at converting those downfield targets. Most of his production is mostly come in the intermediate areas of the field, but 
I mean, that's a guy that was trending down. It, it felt like two weeks ago in the Washington game last week, you know, the, the thought coming in was Dobbs might be losing his job. He comes in, Christian Watson gets injured immediately. Dubs winds up making two terrific catches in that game, including one touchdown catch. I think he, he certainly earned himself another week in the starting lineup. Um, he's probably the guy that I would pair if I'm playing Rodgers. I just don't think I'm going to play Rodgers. Like he, Rodgers feels like a cash game type of quarterback to me. Like he's, he's probably not going to bust. He has a really great matchup. They're going to, I think, probably control this game most likely. But I'm just not sure I can see the 30 bomb with Rodgers, the 35 bomb with Rodgers. Like you look at how Miami attacked these, this Dolphins uh, defense this week or last week. You know, that's what Miami does, right? They pass the ball. They come out. They attack you. They also got fortunate in that their defense is total ass and Detroit got up in this game. But I think that they would have done that regardless. That's what they've been playing all year. Whereas Green Bay, like they play slow, really slow. They play run heavy. I think that they will use a lot of Jones. Like they will use a lot of Dylan. You've talked me into Dylan not being the worst idea in the world. Like there aren't a lot of cheap running backs I like this week. I think I'm not a big fan of Deion Jackson this week at 5,200. You know, a lot of where his value came from in previous games was in the check down game. Uh, You know, Sam Ellinger is not going to be throwing as often and not going to be throwing as much to running backs as Matt Ryan. So I think Dion's going to be a more traditional running back in this spot, which is just not something that even Jonathan Taylor has been effective at doing behind this offensive line. And Jackson's not Taylor. I I think we're going to talk about in the next game that the running back that I'm probably most interested in below 6K. Um, But but Dylan, maybe I'll play some Jones. Um, But yeah, it's a game that, I'm struggling with. I think that the guy that I probably would play most is from the Lions side. And maybe I'll do mini correlations with, with him and Jones, although it'll be owned or, or with him and dubs or something like that would be Amon Ross St. Brown. He came back. He had a really strong role again last week. It didn't really amount to much because he didn't get in the end zone. Didn't end up creating a lot after the catch. His role was still really strong. Now there's no TJ Hawkinson. He's just going to get even more peppered in the short and the intermediate areas of the field. Uh, he's down at $6,600 this week. So, uh, you know, his, he's just been racking up points. We have seen that he does have a ceiling. Like we've seen that he's able to create big plays after the catch. We've seen that he's able to create big plays in the run game. We also, DeAndre Swift is clearly not hundred percent now, right? We were hopeful last week that he would be back to full go. We, he might not be the whole year. So who are the players in the intermediate areas of the field that are getting great plays for them? It, it really has to be Amon Ross St. Brown. That is good news for Amon Ross St. Brown. Uh, and if you're looking for a deeper guy, I mean, Khalif Raymond might be somewhat interesting uh, as sort of the flanker. You know, you'd expect Jair to probably see more of Josh Reynolds on the outside than you would Khalif Raymond. Uh, and that's really their only option to get the ball downfield if they end up being down in the spot. I, I do want to add in that Buffalo is is top 10 up against the tight end position. That's who Green Bay played last week when Tanya put up 535. Week before that is Washington, who is the best team up against tight ends. Still put up three for 32. So, like I said, a touchdown would have gotten a double digits. The week before that, they played the Jets, right, who probably about equally as bad as Detroit up against the tight end position. He, he put up 10 receptions for 90 yards. No touchdown, but he still got you 19 points in the tight end position. So, Robert Tanyan, for me, is the only guy that I love playing this matchup. And I'm going to play some some uh, some Jamal Williams. I, I don't like – even if DeAndre Swift plays, I think that you have to have Jamal Williams mixed in to, to five, 10 percent of your lineups just in case he ends up having that two touchdown game that we all know is possible. Because as soon as they get in that red zone, they're going to end up focusing on Amon Ross St. Brown if they aren't focusing on him the entire game already. So I do think that you're going to see some some potential, uh, you know, 
touchdown upside with Jamal Williams, who we've all seen what he can do when he actually is uh, feeling like SpongeBob out there. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure I'll get to Williams. Just I'm just not sure how high his ceiling is. Like, I don't know if he's going to be able to get, like, if Swift is out there at all. I mean, even when he's not. Honestly, the one thing with Williams is, like, his role with Swift and without Swift this year has been, like, the same. Right? Like, Because when Swift is not out there, they just rotate, like, Craig Reynolds and Justin Jackson into the other into the other pass down snaps. So it's not actually that different. Um, and then Swift's role this year has not been very good outside of the first week because he's been injured. So... Yeah, probably probably worth considering. I mean, he's probably un- an undervalued play whenever Swift is in, just based on how they function this year. Um, still hard for me to bet on a running back with almost like zero receiving upside when he's not going to get all of the rushing upside. But um, I see. What well, your eyes are looking like terrified there. You you were freeze framed like with like a frightened look on your face. Did I did I say something? No, no, you're good. I was uh, I was just looking at the the private chat, but yeah. Oh, I see. Yes, your camera's bugging out. Uh, I don't know if there's anything you do to get that fixed or whatever it is, but it is, it is the case. Okay. We'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. Um, all right. So let's go ahead. You know what? Do your next game and then I'll, I'll close out with mine. So you got two in a row. All right. That sounds good. That sounds good. Um, well, first of all, before I get into my next game, I want to say that if you're someone like Chase Vernon, um, whose camera is now starting to work a little bit better, by the way, it seems, and you have these crazy wild takes. You have a gut feeling that you want to hang on to. Or maybe you're like somebody like Miles who went out and bought the all-in package who has access to all the data of player profiler. Either way, whatever you're going off of, if you have a prediction that you want to make this weekend, you can make that prediction on Prediction Strike. Prediction Strike is a platform where you get to bet directly on players as if they are stocks. You get to invest in the players that you want to see succeed, that you think will succeed over time, even if they don't get that one particular touchdown this week, another week in DFS that takes you out of contention. You get to bet on the player's talent, and you get to do it with one free share uh, with a $20 deposit if you use promo code Underworld. That's promo code Underworld for one free player share with a $20 deposit over at our friends at Prediction Strike. All right. Now let's talk about the Arizona Cardinals and the Seattle Seahawks. Uh, Two teams that we've talked about a lot on this show, including against each other once before on this show. This time with feeling they get to do it indoors in Arizona. And one thing that I'm curious about is the general narrative on second time divisional matchups, not actually a narrative like historically when divisions, when divisional opponents play each other a second time, the games have been significantly lower scoring than in the previous timeout. Now, last time this game had a ton of ownership and it totally belly flopped. The only piece who got there even remotely was Kenneth Walker. And he got there with like 19 points. So not, not exactly an explosion week. That was the famous, you know, $4,600 total belly flop week. Uh, don't remind I don't me. Think that, anybody, that was the week that uh, Marquise Brown broke his foot. All sorts of bad things happening. But again, here we are, broken record. I feel like I should just get myself recorded saying this. All of the elite ceiling quarterbacks are on the main slate, except for Kyler Murray. Kyler Murray has started to track better. He actually showed somewhat of that elite ceiling this last week with DeAndre Hopkins. The Cardinals offense has functioned a lot better with DeAndre Hopkins back in it. He's been a complete alpha. What are your thoughts on this Arizona-Seattle game? Is this the week that we finally see that Kyler Murray ceiling all the way come together fully? So I am somebody that that I I was going to pick this matchup, right? I started typing it all out. 
and it just felt really gross. Like it started feeling gross because the, the Seattle Seahawks have been much better up against running backs over the past four weeks than what they were. Now they're still on receptions. I mean, we just saw who was it? Uh, I believe who no, it was yeah, Barkley. a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and Barkley, that's who it was it was Eckler but I mean when it comes to like their their yards per carry and what they're actually able to put on the ground it's been virtually nothing like less than 3.5 yards per carry for everybody outside of Kamara so the past four weeks has been somewhat brutal and it started with mm-hmm. Eno Benjamin back a few weeks ago so I don't know that I'm going to love running out there just because I have a bad taste in my mouth but I also think that's going to scare a lot of other people off the ownership. So maybe I do. There's one. I mean, is Connor going to play? Because he's like Waller and Connor are both like, I don't fucking know. <laughs> I, I don't know why they would roll him out right now when they don't really need to because they don't, they're not using the running back anyways. And, and it, it's absurd how Kyler Murray literally is like a, a toddler without a parent, just running around the playground, terrorizing people, knocking ice cream out of kids' hands. Like he's literally ruined fantasy for everybody that's not named DeAndre Hopkins over the past couple weeks. And, and nobody, nobody, Cliff Kingsbury, nobody is saying, hey, listen, these guys need your fantasy points. You need to find your wide receivers on the f- field. So uh, we did see a big breakout week. Well, not breakout week, but a big week from Rondell Moore last week. But I don't like the coverage that he's going up against this week. Seattle's been great up against the slot. I don't love playing playing Eno Benjamin. I, I might be pivoting off this lineup outside of one skinny sack, but I'll let you go first before I, I dive into that. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tough one in that Arizona has really become the Hopkins show, like you mentioned, um, and that's fine. I mean, I think Hopkins is an okay play, but I think that the true primary vessels that people will play this game through uh, are going to wind up being uh, DeAndre Hopkins from the Arizona side, and then Kenneth Walker yep. really from the Seattle side. Uh, Kenneth Walker has been like pretty much exactly as advertised in the sense that he has run really effectively and he has caught no balls. Um, so I feel like, I feel like we got the Kenneth Walker, uh, picture pretty much sorted out. Uh, you know, he has a ceiling because he's explosive, right? So he's going to have more of a ceiling than most players with his past game profile. I think it's fine. Yeah. That's the tough part for me. Like that, the tough part with Kyler is it's like, how do I stack Kyler Murray in a way that's not just Kyler plus Hopkins? Because then it's not just about his ownership. It's like, you know, if you play, if you play a quarterback at 10% owned who has like three to four different options of how to stack him, right? Think about Tua last week. How we were talking about Tua. You could play him with only Hill, only Waddle, both Hill and Waddle. One of those plus Kasiki, one of those plus Mostert. Like there was all these different options and machinations. I mean, I guess the bright side with Kyler is at this point, we kind of know that if Kyler has a ceiling game and he's the QB one, that it's probably also Hopkins who's the guy, right? So that's nice in the sense that you don't have to like guess how to get it right. The problem is, is if Kyler is like, I don't know, 10% owned, 8% owned. I mean, what percentage of those lineups are not just Kyler Hopkins skinny stacks? Like probably like 90% of those lineups are just Kyler plus Hopkins skinny stacks. And then it becomes really expensive to build a lineup with Kyler plus Hopkins and one of Metcalf or Lockett, right? A little bit more manageable to do with Walker. That's my problem is how do we differentiate? So I think I'm going to play Kyler this week. I am probably just going to play him with Hopkins. I'm struggling to talk myself into Rondale. I'm struggling myself to talk into Zach Ertz, whose role this has not been good with, uh, has not been as good with DeAndre Hopkins returning. And so I think then the issue becomes, what am I going to do with the rest of my lineups? You know, that's where I have to find some sort of unique play that nobody else is going to play to flip either the, the build structure or to just get in like that 0.5% type of play where 
if I'm right on the Kyler lineups, I'm not just taking this entire crew of other Kyler Hopkins lineups with me because I think that pretty much everybody who plays this game, and if they get it right, they're going to be playing it the same way with the Kyler plus Hopkins plus one of Walker, Lockett, Metcalf. Well, you could go a route that, you know, I, I suggest last week and you shut down. And if you actually played this line, if you probably ended up cashing in big time, like like top percentage, all you got to do is play Zach Ertz. Zach Ertz was a top three tight end last week, Jacob, on the what, slate. Yeah, like two catches and a touchdown? Uh, I, I it, was, it was like 13 points, but he still finished <laughs> yeah. as a top three tight end on the slate. So, I mean, this week's even worse than last week. Like you called last week hot garbage. This week is bad as well. I, I like Ertz in this matchup. I think that you can end up getting leverage on the slate by playing Ertz and Hopkins. Uh, you know, I don't know if I'm going to be playing a ton of Kyler and Hopkins solo, but it seems like the obvious play. It seems like the obvious play. I, I want to play a lot of Kyler and Zach Ertz to kind of leverage this lineup if I do attack this slate with Kenneth Walker on the other side. And then I'm just going to go crazy. I'm going to go buck wild on the wide receivers for other games. Like I'm talking about Justin Jefferson or Cooper Cup, something along, along those lines. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to take another shot on Zach Ertz up against one of the worst teams up against opposing tight ends. And Michelle's a and team that we've seen tight ends for life. Dude, it's been so bad for years. Yeah. We thought that they would get better when they traded for like for, Jamal Adams. For as, for as long like... as Pete Carroll has been there, like that the, they just don't defend the position. My concern with Ertz, like you can draw a pretty firm line of distinction. Like he had 11 targets, 10, 6, 10, 10 in the games uh, from weeks two through six. That, that, that only excludes week one, which is when he played a more limited snap share and he was on the injury report that week. Then DeAndre Hopkins comes back, four targets, five targets. Like, I think that, you know, Hopkins isn't even earning, like, that massively more percentage of a target share than Marquise Brown. I think it's just the areas that they win are so different. Like, the areas where Hopkins is winning is, like, in the intermediate, middle-of-the-field areas, which is also where Ertz was getting targets, whereas Marquise Brown was winning in areas more complementary yeah. to Zach Ertz. So I do think he's just, like, a worse play overall. I mean, I think he could still make it work this week because you mentioned the matchup is so bad. He's still going to run all the routes. Like, so I, I don't think Ertz is unplayable or anything. But I... I do get a little bit, I find it a little bit difficult when I'm spending, like not spending necessarily up, up at the tight end position, but if I'm going to spend more than like the minimum, right? Like if I'm getting up, I mean, Zach Ertz freaking the highest price tight end of the slate this week, right? And like, it's like, do I want to spend $5,100, the highest price to tight end for a slate for a guy who like, to me is almost physically incapable of getting into the hundred yard bonus. Like if I'm, if I'm doing that, it's just difficult. I'd much rather play like Pitts. I'd much rather play Gerald Everett. Like at least those guys have sort of the athletic ability to to get there for me. Yeah, it's going to have to be volume dependent. It's definitely going to be volume dependent. But like I said, that leverages the the slate and allows me to play Kenneth Walker with Kyler Murray without hitting chalk because the only other people that are going to be doing that are people that play Hopkins. Yeah. So, and also, I mean, I, I don't hate uh, I don't hate DK Metcalf this week. Is DK yeah. Metcalf's yeah. I mean, he's yeah, interesting. I'm good with Metcalf. Yeah. Yeah, Gina Smith. The other side of that's fine too. Yeah, I'm right. that. You want you want to keep discussing this one, or you want to hop on? Tomorrow? No, I'm good. I'm good with this one. Let's talk about your last one here. All right, this one is interesting for me, right? Because this is a game that's gross, and, and it's exact opposite of like what Jacksonville the Raiders were, where you see you know some decent offenses playing up against some really poor defenses. Uh, these are bad offenses that have uh, decent defenses, not great defenses. I shouldn't say bad offenses. There's one bad offense. There's another offense that hasn't been hitting their potential as of late. Uh, when we talk about the Commanders and the Vikings, Washington struggled significantly 
uh, starting the year out up against zone, right? We, we talked about how literally Scott Turner is calling these plays where Terry McLaurin runs straight to where the defenders are playing their zone coverage. And I'm like, what are you doing? Like, and then he's trying to pull off the defenders. It was funny because he's trying to pull off the defenders, similar to like what Shanahan would do, where he's mm. running these jet sweep options with Curtis Samuel and he's passing underneath Curtis Samuel. But our offensive line wasn't good. Washington's offensive line wasn't good. So you just watched Curtis Samuel, like, you know, gain a few yards, get a reception. He ended up having production for fantasy purposes. But when it came to moving the chains, it didn't work because then you're set up with a, you know, a third down and, and six yards to go. And then he had to throw to the zone exactly where people are lining up because he wasn't creative. Mm-hmm. The past two weeks, seen a significant change in the play calling by Scott Turner. I mean, I'm talking about mm-hmm. night and day difference. We're talking about a, uh, a scheme that they ran last week up against the Colts where they were having uh, two crossing patterns, shallow crossing patterns, uh, with the tight end actually pulling the safety off by going deep. And then you'd end up having the slot receiver coming underneath where one of the crossing patterns left to allow that open zone to take place. And Curtis Samuel was right there. It happened on three different, uh, I believe, conversions for first downs. And Curtis Samuel finished the game with like three receptions for, for 50 yards or something like that. It's not great. It's not great, but at least we're seeing this offense move. And I think that has a lot to do with the limitations because before they were like, oh, man, we got we got the quarterback with his big arm and Carson Wentz. So we should have him drop back and launch it 50 yards on every play, you know, because we have a, a deep threat receiver. And honestly, like now that we have limitations, now that they have limitations on their arm with Taylor Hineke, they, they have to call shorter routes. They can't be calling these, these deep plays. And then you, you see Taylor Hineke, when the play breaks down, he's able to escape the pocket. These guys are having to come back to the ball. So we're also seeing shorter targets once again. I think it's good. I think it's healthy for, for the team. And it's obviously been been uh, productive for this offense, which now makes them uh, playable from week to week in DFS. Mm. And and now we have the Minnesota Vikings, right? Who are – they play zone the second most more than any other team in the NFL or the, the second most mm. amount of snaps on defense for the NFL, 85% of the time. Uh, they play a lot of cover three, and they play a decent amount of cover two. Well, this could be a great opportunity for Curtis Samuel to once again get underneath. Now, if Taylor Haneke was accurate last week, Curtis Samuel would have had a reception that went for like 70 yards and a touchdown. All he had to do was beat one safety to the end, which he was already beating on that route anyways. However, Haneke threw it behind him. Curtis Samuel had to slow up, tackle, first down conversion, but you know, not a big-time play like we were hoping for. So – for this matchup, and this is gross because I've never said Curtis Samuel's name on a DFS episode before in my life. <laughs> never said it. This is the first time. I'm yeah. losing my virginity. I'm popping oh, wow. my Curtis Samuel cherry. And Holy. I'm going to say that Curtis Samuel makes for an interesting play for this game. Now, I, I want to play Antonio Gibson as well because yeah, guess what? that's this the guy is, I'm really into this week. This is opening up an offense. I mean, we're seeing teams uh, get gain yardage up against these the Minnesota Vikings in terms of the running backs and the pass catching opportunities. But we're seeing a, an emergence of Antonio Gibson in the receiving game. And now with McKissick out, I right. mean, this That's just opens up thing, right? wonders. This opens up wonders for this to happen. Brian Robinson is a terrible running back, and I will never, ever support the draft pick of him going as early as he did because he's a, a plotter. He's a confident plotter, right? It is sad. It is pathetic. It is embarrassing that, that Ron Rivera wanted to run with this guy. And it's funny now because he tried to run Antonio Gibson out of town. Guess who's the primary running back? He tried to run Taylor Hindicke out of town. Guess who's the, the starting quarterback? I mean – we're seeing an opportunity. Oh, and I don't even want to bring up Deami Brown, who he shunned after he drafted him almost immediately. 
but we're seeing an emergence of this yeah, he drafts. He just hates everyone that he drafts. It, it's insane. It's insane. He only likes the veterans that he brings in, and, and then they play <laughs> terribly, and he still tries to force them. But guess what? They're not good at football, so they phase themselves out of the offenses. Now we're, we're about to see a situation where Henneke could end up making one, maybe two of these guys actually valuable. Last week he did. I don't know that if that's the case this week. So I want to play some Heineke uh, in hopes that he has the rushing upside. And I want to play either Curtis Samuel or Antonio Gibson. I'm not married to either one of these guys, but I want to play either one. And I want to throw Terry McLaurin in some lineups too. So I think for this week. It's- now McLaurin at 1500 is like just one of those ones where it's like, just from like a strictly how talented do we think this player is? I mean, we saw it like last week, right? On, on essentially the, what was the game winning play where Terry McLaurin just made like a star player type of play, right? It was just like, I'm Terry McLaurin. I'm going to go moss this dude. And like anytime you get access to that guy, like probably sub 10% ownership at 5,900 in a pretty winnable matchup, like that's just hard to, to turn down. Yeah, and they've been running him with the crossing pattern, so he's being open. He's getting behind the safety and behind the, the, the cornerback that's playing that cover three zone. He's getting behind him on occasion. The only thing is Taylor Henneke's scrambling where he doesn't have the arm. So all it takes is one play where he's actually behind him wide open, and Taylor Henneke just need, needs to make that throw. So, so if you play Henneke, then who, what's your favorite stack? Is it a single stack or is it a double stack, and, and who goes in it? Like, is it some two out of three of Gibson, McLaurin, and Samuel, or is it one out of three? What's... So I'm going to have one out of three, uh, and I'm going to have two out of three. Depends on how expensive I want to get because you're playing all these options that I discussed are under six k. Like right, Terry McLaurin's fifty nine. You can afford a double stack, and they don't need to both hit massive, massive ceilings. Like you don't need them both no. hit thirty plus. No, and then if Henneke hits as well, he throws a couple of touchdowns. All of a sudden, you're talking about the money. And Minnesota Vikings have been very good up against the running backs up front. So we're going to see a lot of right. third and long situations, a lot of second, third and long situations where they're going to need to throw the ball downfield. They're going to need to get it into space to gen- generate yardage. They're not going to be able to pound it up the middle. They're probably abandoning that play calling by halftime at the very latest. So we're going to see them be able to move the ball upfield and, and matriculate the ball around the offense. I'm a little bit concerned that it spreads out too often, but I want to play probably two out of three in a good amount of shares. But even more so, I want to play Kirk Cousins, right? Washington's actually been very good up front up against the, the running back in terms of stopping the, the running backs from, from gaining yardage on first down. This is going to force Kirk Cousins to throw it downfield. So I actually love Kirk Cousins with, of course, Justin Jefferson stacks, even at the pricing. Washington has been better on defense ever since moving on from William Jackson, but Mm. they haven't been elite by any stretch of the imagination, right? They're they're not forcing a ton of pressure onto the quarterback position. They're allowing quarterbacks to throw downfield on them. And Washington is having blown coverages in the secondary from time to time. Even so, if they end up playing so far off, Justin Jefferson is going to beat them out of the slot over and over again. They have a seventh round rookie, uh, called like his name's like wild goose. I think is (laughs) his name. (laughs) That is wild goose. Yeah, yeah he's played the slot. And, and I mean, if you talk about Justin Jefferson, he's going to abuse this guy. So I like that. I like the, the whoa, concept. Whoa, somebody called PETA. He's abusing a wild goose? <laughs> he's abusing wild goose. Somebody <laughs> called PETA. Oh, I love that. That was great. No, so I, I want to play Justin Jefferson out of the slot. I want to play some Adam Thielen. I think Adam Thielen's interesting, right? Uh, I'm going to fade Hawkinson because Washington, ever since Cam Curl came well, back, he's, he's not, been shutting I, them down. I mean, down. how many routes is he going to play anyway in this first not game many. there? Not, not 80%, many. I don't imagine. No, and, and I'm going to fade the running backs over there for, for the Minnesota Vikings. So oh, See, I'll, that I can't do. Like, we're talking Dalvin Cook, like, unplayed this week. Like, in terms of just how the slate's coming down with all of these great wide receivers on it. And then you have Eckler in this nut matchup with every other charger out. And like, 
people are already going to want to be playing expensive wide receivers, spending down to the mid-range running back. If you're spending up at running back, Eckler's in such a smash spot. I don't know. If I'm if I'm going to play Washington, guys, I want to play Jefferson, but I want to mix in some Cook. Like, Cook is just a, like, I don't know. I think it's an opportunity where you're going to have the money to play Cook if you play Washington side of the stack. And you're gonna have the you're gonna have, be able to play a guy that's like totally off the radar. I'd rather play like Justin Jefferson personally, but we talk about the pace of play for for both these teams. They tend to be a little bit slower in most cases. So like I don't I, I don't if I have this game, I need a shootout to happen. And I don't think that Dalvin Cook has it in him anymore to have those breakaway runs. And even so, like Washington's been pretty good about preventing those breakaway runs on a regular basis. So like I don't. I'm not married to the idea of of trying to squeeze Dalvin Cook in just because of the potential of what could happen with low ownership. I'm not saying that he couldn't put up, mm. you know, 100 yards and a touchdown and end up giving you like 20 fantasy points. That's in the realm of possibilities. But then I don't think there's going to be enough plays to to run it back with Washington or even do a stack with Washington, right? Like maybe a single stack. Maybe I can see a single stack where we play Terry McLaurin or Antonio Gibson. I wouldn't touch Curtis Samuel at that point because Curtis Samuel is going to need volume. And typically if he's getting volume, it's going to be – not short yardage situations, but we're going to see eight to 10 yards on most plays. So I would much rather play Terry McLaurin that has the breakaway possibility, Antonio Gibson, and then maybe I could run it back. But I think that in order, if you play double stack on Washington side, or if you play the Washington guys as a whole um, without, uh, without Taylor Henneke, I don't think that I want to mix my stuff in with, with Davin Cook, just because of the break with the lack of breakaway run potential. Okay, interesting enough. Yeah, I, I'll probably play some Cook, but I don't. I also agree with you in the sense that um, in terms of a full game stack, I'm probably a little bit more interested in playing Jefferson, but I'm probably pretty interested in playing Cook just in general. Uh, but maybe I'd, maybe I'd work him in with just one Washington piece. I wouldn't play Cook and Gibson together probably, but um, although you almost could in the sense that like Gibson's role, so that's the guy that I'm most interested in in this game, especially is Antonio Gibson. He's still not projecting where I've looked to be particularly highly owned. Um, and I'd be pretty comfortable playing him up anything under like 15% or so. And I'm seeing him under 10 still. Uh, I, I think that, I mean, I think with Antonio Gibson, his role hilariously, since he's basically lost the main like lead rusher, quote unquote role, has just been way better because he's been getting more interesting touches even when McKissick was there, Gibson was in this really strange hybrid role where Robinson was playing the most snaps. He was getting the most carries. McKissick was still playing the long down a distance, but Gibson was actually getting a lot of first read looks. He was the clear target. They were designing plays for him in space. They were really valuable touches. Now McKissick's out. And I mean, I guess we can't say for sure because we haven't seen either of these running backs get the long down a distance work, but Gibson seems a lot more likely to get it to me than Brian Robinson. He did do it last year when McKissick went out and was perfectly acceptable at it. So I see this now as a situation almost akin to the Patriots backfield where you have Brian Robinson as the Damian Harris, you know, taking the boring first and second down carries on, you know, every second series or so. And then you have, Antonio Gibson is the Ramondre Stevenson where he's getting a fair share of the carries as well, but he's also getting all of the pass down work, like the fun scheme stuff. He's getting the long down and distance work. He's going to get the two minute drill work. Like there's not really a particular reason why he should be so much less 
owned and so much less in terms of salary than Ramondre. I think that their roles are actually quite similar. So I'm really into Gibson this week. I would like to play him with Jefferson. I think it is playable with Cook because his ceiling probably does come in the passing game in this game. And Brian Robinson, you'd think, gets faced almost entirely out if Washington is playing from behind in this spot. So I like Gibson a lot. I think you can play him in full stacks with Heineke. You can play him as a bring back. If you're playing a cousin stack, you can play him with Jefferson. You can just play him by him damn self. Uh, I'm a big fan of Antonio Gibson. Oh, sorry. I was muted. All right. So Jacob, we have a lineup to set, baby. We got a lineup do to do. We got, we got five minutes. So we always told people not, not, not to, to try and set a lineup in five minutes because the last few times we've done that, it hasn't worked. So let's see if we can actually be successful this week in doing it. I went ahead and I chose our stack for us. We're going to go ahead and give us some, some money to play with. And I'm going to let you pick the first one. We're going with a skinny stack, excuse me, a skinny stack of Henneke and Terry McLaurin. Actually, let's do skinny sack of, of Gibson and and, uh, and Hineke. Let's just play them both. Let's let's play them both. All right, let's get them both. In. Yeah, All put right. Gibson in there and put Terry in there. I'm I'm good with that. All right, go ahead and tell us who your first player is. All right, well, I'll I'll take the easy way out. I mean, I think that we're gonna have a quarterback that's not gonna have barely any ownership. We're gonna have barely any ownership on McLaurin. Uh, Gibson and Jefferson will have some, not that much. So I'm just going to take the, the easy road for my other running back slot. I want to play who I think is the best play on the slate. Give me Travis Etienne. God, Jacob, you took mine, man. Like, that's not Yeah, cool. me, me, you and everybody else's. <laughs> no, right. Look, I just get concerned with you, man. You said you were considering putting A.J. Dillon in the lineup. I need to protect myself. You said that I talked you into it, okay? Like, you actually I said, said... That, I said that, it, that it's not the most insane idea in the entire universe. Like that's, yeah. I think that's what I got to. Yeah. Well, speaking of the, the Green Bay game, right? Because we talked about wanting to play a little yeah. bit in that. What about if I just go ahead and I plug in Robert Tanyan? Because I don't think the Tanyan ownership is going to be through the roof. And I, I think it's a fun play at the tight end position. That's fine. Yeah, that's fine. I mean, he has yeah. the upside. There's nobody else to throw to. And Aaron Rodgers, yeah, we, we want to see some check down city over there. But I, I think All it right. makes it interesting. All right. Well, I'll take the other side of that game then. If you're going to play Robert Tunyon, I still think we're in okay shape here from an ownership perspective. And so I'll take uh, the, my my top guy from the Lions game. Give me Amon Ross St. Brown, who we also have some salary for. And that still leaves us with, I think, 5,400. Marvin Jones Jr., let's go. Uh, that's, I think, well <laughs> below 5,400, I pray. <laughs> I pray. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure he is. Uh, Tyler Algier's interesting. If if Cordell Patterson doesn't play, I don't love it, but it, it's an interesting play. We still have Curtis Samuel, but we already you know rolled our chips in on on two players from Washington. Um, is there anybody that that's kind of standing out to you uh, in terms of guys that you actually want to run out here? Because honestly, I don't like any of these guys in that. Yeah, I mean, range. I don't mind. I don't mind Myers, but he's just kind of like a boring floor play doesn't excite me a whole heck of a lot. Um, I mean, I, I don't even mind spending lower down if there was a guy and then spending up a little bit more at uh, defense as well. Like, I mean, I'm going way down before I see anybody that I would actually want to play in any of these matchups. Yeah, I mean, DeAndre Carter is a little bit interesting to me. Garrett Wilson at 4,800. I think Darnell Mooney, Darnell Mooney. at 40. That's $4,700 in a really sick matchup with Miami. I think he's interesting. We didn't talk about that game, but... Uh, I'm, I'm going to be very interested in playing fields with Mooney and, and running that back with Miami guys. Let's do Mooney and let's check out the defense. I actually do like the defense that we have with the Seahawks. Up against yeah, but, but we got 700 in salary here. We can, we can do that. That will pain you. Out. That will literally be, I like... would never, I will not submit a lineup $700 in salary. You cannot do this. <laughs> all right we have the raiders up against jacksonville uh don't love that because raiders are last place in turnovers i think they've only forced four turnovers thus far in the year uh buccaneers up against the rams can be interesting if they can get some some pressure on stafford but i don't really love that either 
Why don't we why don't we play the Jaguars against the Raiders? I mean, if you're I, I like to play the Raiders or the Jags because we're well well I don't we're not playing the Raiders because we're playing ETN. Like why don't we play the Jacksonville defense here with, with ETN against the Raiders? Yeah, we can do that. They're starting to get pressure on the, the quarterback a lot more often. And we're seeing turnovers from the Raiders O line. Fifteen turnovers in the year. Yep. I, I like it, man. I like it. I'm in. Oh man, we got Cody in the chat. What's going on, Cody? Yeah, Listen, up, we got we got to get out of here. We're we're running into our seven o'clock show. You know, we, we said we wouldn't do this. So let me go ahead and hit enter over here on this, and let's get out of here. Well, we got to do we got to do our quick flag plant here. Oh, that's right. Each. That's right. Remember this show format here that we're doing. Why don't you give yours first this time, man? All right, my flag pants. You know what? No, I want you to do yours because I I have to sit here and I have to actually weigh out because last week my flag plant kicked ass. I had AJ Brown, top scoring wide receiver killed on the it. slate. He killed, killed it. it. That was my flag plant. Was Who phenomenal. is yours for this week? All right, this week my guy is is very much not you know a guy that I've been particularly on going back to season long stuff, but this new role that he has is better. And now with J.D. McKissick out of the lineup, finally, it gets fully unlocked where he's not going to be just getting, like we mentioned, he's not going to be only getting the sort of intermediary touches that he had been getting before. He was getting the scheme stuff, but it wasn't enough to do much more than luck boxing. Now he's got that Ramondre Stevenson type role. He's going to have half the rushing. He's going to have all of the receiving. He's going to have the fun scheme stuff. He's going to be game script proof if they fall behind. And there's going to be so much of a focus up on Travis Etienne at $6,300, rightly so. Austin Eckler all the way up. A lot of interesting wide receiver options. I don't think that Gibson gets fully steamed, and I want to be able to get ahead of this new potential role before him getting just outrageously high ownership, which he may be in this spot. My fly plan is Antonio Gibson this week. He's a great way to spend down. I want to be spending up on those elite wide receivers, and I want to try and do it without completely compromising my ownership. So Antonio Gibson, back from the dead, going to remind people of why we were all so excited about him in the first place, really in on Antonio Gibson this week. Yeah, I uh, I love that pick. That's who I was actually going to take. Um, but uh, and I feel like ETN's too cheap. Like ETN's a lock. You don't and, get and to went, be. You don't get the flag plant the highest owned player on the slate. Chase. Yeah, can't I, I can't do that. I, I can't. So I I gotta go to somebody else. I'm gonna go with the quarterback. I'm all gonna right. go with Taylor Henneke. I'm gonna go on okay. the same team. I, I think that if. Gibson is actually relevant, then he's going to have to do so in the receiving game. I like Curtis Samuel in this. I, I like Terry McLaurin in this. And, and Henneke is probably going to be my my favorite player on the slate in terms of combination of ownership, uh, pricing, and uh, overall points scored. I mean, he's still averaging, what, almost 20 points per game thus far, and he's still cheap as hell. Give me, give me Taylor Henneke every day. Let's go. Let's go.